Welcome to the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, where I believe a healthy world is based on transparent conversations. In today's episode, I sat down with Dr. Julie Fouché. And if you are part of the CrossFit community, then you no doubt have heard of Julie. She completed her residency and also went to medical school at Cleveland Clinic, which is incredible. We had a very heart-to-heart conversation about what it takes to be great. What do you do when you have weaknesses? What are her thoughts on medicine? And in particular, how does she see medicine working and why did she choose medicine? Again, this is a very well trained physician and a incredible incredible athlete who you know placed in the top 5 multiple rounds of the CrossFit games all while in medical school and during her training so i really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as i did dr fouché is an incredible incredible human and healer as you'll see i want to stop here and take a moment to thank one of our sponsors You know, when I look at Julie and I talk to Julie, I know how intense her training has been. And one of the things that is really important for all athletes, whether you are incredibly athletic or you are doing weekend training, electrolytes and fluids are important. I have used them. I know that Julie has used them. And one of the sponsors is Element, and that is an electrolyte-based solution. I have been using them for years now. They are a science-based backed electrolyte powder, which you could travel with, which is amazing. They have 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. You know, oftentimes we feel like we need more sleep and we're really, quote, tired. But in fact, it's not that you're tired, but you are dehydrated. And oftentimes when you are dehydrated, maybe you're more hungry or you're not performing as well as you can be. Utilizing Element can be incredibly helpful. And right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets with any Element order. Great way to try all flavors. You can share it. You can get yours at drinkelement.com backslash Dr. Lion. No questions asked. You can get a refund if you don't like it, but I know that you will. If you are thirsty, if you are not drinking enough, if you are training hard, try Element. I want to take a moment to thank one of the sponsors of the show, and that's First Form. I want to mention today about micronized creatine. Creatine is an amazing, amazing supplement that has been proven over and over again. And one of the things about creatine, aside from it being it's a naturally occurring energy source, it's oftentimes found in red meat, it is very helpful for brain health. We are finding that creatine monohydrate actually, while it was originally thought of as a muscle cell volumizer, it is great for brain health and there's a lot of benefit to using creatine. I have gone through many, many cycles of using creatine to help performance and energy in the gym. This is something that a lot of women actually don't think about. It is very, very helpful for women and also aging individuals. Also, if you're beginning to train harder, this is a fantastic product. It is well-researched and an absolute staple. You can find this at First Form's website, First Form. That's one S-T-P-H-O-R-M. 
com backslash dr lion l y o n and we typically recommend five grams per day it actually doesn't matter when you take it just as long as you do okay back to our show julie fouché yes hello hi <laughs> this is amazing so we've known each other now for easily a couple years mm-hmm and this is the first time we get to meet in person. Yes. And it's been awesome. I've loved <laughs> hanging out with your kids and meeting your dad. And it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It feels like old friends. <laughs> and it does. Yes. Um, you are a very unique individual in many respects. And one thing that I would love for you to share is you've been a CrossFit Games athlete. You were in the games from 2010 up until you injured yourself 2015. Mm -hmm. But you're also a physician and not just any random physician. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) But you are a physician who was trained at a top institution. You were trained at the Cleveland Clinic. That is a very unusual combination. And not to mention your placings in the CrossFit Games. It wasn't as if you were a weekend warrior. You did not place out of the top five. It's crazy, right? How does it feel <laughs> to be such an underachiever? <laughs> well, that's a that's a big question, but <laughs> it is pretty amazing. And I think for me, I feel so lucky with the way everything unfolded. I think I had so many opportunities to compete in CrossFit and in med school. And I think the timing, the way that things worked out, it really allowed me to to be able to do both of these things at the same time. And what was the time frame? Were you in medical school while you were competing? No. So I found CrossFit when I was halfway through college. So it was the summer of 2009, right before my junior year. And, and you went to college in Michigan? In Michigan. I was at the University of Michigan. And... I thought I I had really felt out of place since I did sports in high school. I did gymnastics. I did track and field. And then when I started college, I always knew I really wanted to be active and I wanted to use my body. And actually, interestingly, I thought about doing fitness competitions uh, as a way to to continue. But then I found CrossFit and it was immediately, as soon as I heard what it was, mm-hmm. I thought, this is exactly what I've been looking for. Um, I just loved the idea of doing something different every day, incorporating gymnastics and weightlifting and endurance, working out in a a team environment where you had a coach, you had someone telling you what to do, you had teammates, classmates. And the minute I set foot in the CrossFit affiliate that was in Ann Arbor, it was called HyperFit USA, I just knew I'd found my new home. So I was very excited. Yeah. From the time that you had started, what did you study in college? Actually, biomedical engineering. Yeah. (laughs) My dad is an engineer, and so he really encouraged me to apply to the engineering school. And I had a lot of mixed feelings about it because I loved everything. In high school, I loved the humanities. I loved English. And I remember one day crying in my counselor's office in college because I really wanted to take a humanities class and I didn't have room. This is really (laughs) odd. Yeah, yeah. And I was in this weird position because because I was a female in engineering and I had good grades in high school, I ended up getting a scholarship. And so it, it came with a lot of implications. If I were to switch my major, I would lose that scholarship, which would have been a big deal. So and you were on an academic scholarship? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I ended up staying in engineering and it really was for the best. I, I loved it. I thought it was great for developing 
problem solving skills. I met some of my, you know, some great friends in engineering, but it, to me, it was only interesting if it was around the human body. So I studied biomedical engineering. Um, that context, I think, made it more exciting for me, but I was never really cut out to be an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> was there a moment that you decided you were going to go into medicine? It was in high school, I think. I think wow. when I took high school biology and psychology, that those two classes, I was just so fascinated by how humans work, mm. you know, down to the cellular level mm. and then learning about anatomy and then the psychology of it too, that mind-body connection. And I think someone in, in high school suggested maybe you'd be a good pediatrician. And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> and I, I think that's where the idea first came into my mind. And my my mom was an optometrist. She had her own practice. And that's and, an that's an eye doctor. An eye doctor. That are- yeah. And she had her own practice that her father owned before her. So it was very much a family wow. business, a small community. You know, she took care of patients that her dad knew and their kids and grandkids. So incredible. It was a very um, special place. And so I think that influenced me too. I was able to see after the summer after high school, I worked for her for the summer and I saw just how powerful her relationships were with patients. And to me, that was, I think the deciding factor of for going into medicine eventually was I loved the physician patient relationship. Do you think that that was conscious at that point in time? I think so. So through college, I try to keep an open mind. I, you know, so I started Even college. You were a biomedical yeah, I, try, I, I try to keep an open mind because everyone at the University of Michigan goes in pre-med. And so I right. thought, okay, let me just make sure I check out all my options. And I looked at industry careers in engineering. I look at research tracks. And ultimately, I just kept coming back to that physician-patient relationship. And it was so fascinating to me, just the the trust that you have and the way that people come to you with this trust without even having met you and might yeah. divulge some of their most personal details that they may have they might not have even told you know their closest family members mm. and then the responsibility that you have to then help them um, that was what really drew me in it's it's a very sacred relationship it is and it will always continue to be mm-hmm. um, so I, I can absolutely appreciate that mm-hmm. when did you decide in your college career that you were going to go into medicine because that's very rigorous. People yeah. mm-hmm. must understand that in order to get into medical school, it really needs to be 100% of an individual's focus, even though you were doing CrossFit, I don't know, on the weekends, was that during class? I mean, was there a point in time where, number one, while you were in undergrad that you decided to go into medicine? Mm-hmm. And two, obviously, where did CrossFit even play into that? Because in order to be competitive in any sport. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking about two things that are incredibly time consuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So interestingly, this is where I say timing played a big role because I started CrossFit the summer before my junior year of college. And that summer or that junior year was really when if you want to apply to med school to go right after college, you have to start thinking about the MCAT and applications and all these things. So I was really on the path to applying to med school at the same time I was just getting my feet wet with CrossFit and not even knowing that I wanted to compete, just doing it for fun and for my own health and and fitness and well-being. And so I was, um, I ended up qualifying, you know, to my shock and surprise to the CrossFit Games in 2010. And that summer, I, you know, I took the MCAT shortly, I think shortly after I had competed in the regional and qualified. And then I went to 
um, Bethesda and did an internship at the NIH that summer and was submitting my med school applications. I think I submitted it right after I got back from the CrossFit Games or something like that. And so they were definitely happening at the same time. I think if if I had found CrossFit earlier or CrossFit had been more advanced as a sport earlier, I may have. So was it a, a newer sport in 2010? It was. So the first year of the CrossFit Games was 2007. Wow. So okay. I, I remember the summer of 2009 was when I started CrossFit. And I remember watching online the 2009 CrossFit Games. And these women, at that point, it was still at this ranch in California. It wasn't mm-hmm. at a big venue. And it was kind of like a fun backyard barbecue vibe. And I remember watching these women thinking, oh, my gosh, they are doing the craziest things. I could never do that. And I they actually posted for all the female competitors their average times and their best times on some benchmark workouts, some lifts and some benchmark CrossFit workouts. And so I printed that out and I put it up on my bedroom in college. And I thought, oh, my gosh, these are crazy times. There's no way I can do this. And then sure enough, as the year moved along, I started checking them off and being able to Mm. achieve some of those average times. And so then I qualified in 2010 and was already applying to med school. I think, I think if I had, you know, if it had been a little bit delayed, I may have delayed med school and Mm. said, let me just try CrossFit for a few years and see where this goes. And I'm so grateful that I was already down that path because I think I may have changed my mind. I might not have gone through with going to med school or it might've been five or 10 years later. You know, it's really interesting. You say it as if it was there's an ease to it. Mm. There's an <laughs> ease to this idea of seeing a time, competing in it, mm-hmm. and applying to medical school. Mm-hmm. That's not easy. Nope. <laughs> and there were some very low moments during that journey. <laughs> I'm I'm sure that the listener at home, while you speak about it in this ease. Mm-hmm. Number one, was it easy? And number two, how did you compartmentalize? And was there a mindset? Is there? I mean, I'm sure there is mm-hmm. to, you know, fast forward to now, but what was your fundamental mindset going through competition while applying to mm-hmm. med school? So I think for me, it was really knowing what my priorities were. So competition quickly became my top priority. Okay. Um, Over medical school. Well, I wouldn't say. It's okay. I won't tell, I won't tell, I won't tell the professors anymore. It's hard to say. So they, I would say they shifted a little bit. So I, I competed, you know, after, um, in that first year, 2010 and then 2011 placed, I placed fifth that first year. And this is out of I mean, I don't know how, you know, the total number that enter in the open is like at that point was maybe like 100,000 or something. Now I think it's around 400,000 a year um, that start. So you placed, just to clarify, you placed in the top five Mm -hmm. out of (laughs) 100,000 athletes while in undergraduate Mm -hmm. getting ready to apply to medical school. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how you live with yourself. I mean... (laughs) kind of a loser was, i don't know how you also like every step of the way it was so surprising to me and it was also that early phase wait what was so surprising i think because and this was a big part of my journey through my whole crossfit games career was uh building my own confidence i think i have always had naturally had the mindset or used to think that being humble was just sort of shrinking and sort of um 
you know, never really believing that I was capable, as capable as I really was. Mm. And so for me, you know, I'd never been to the CrossFit Games before. It was all new. And I'm sitting next to these women that I watched on video last year. And, and then you crushed them. And then I did so well. And it, it was very surprising. Mm. And so then going into the next year, so this was, you know, training during my senior year of college. And then the actual CrossFit Games happened about a month after I started med school. And that was a very stressful time in life. So a lot of transition, finishing college, moving to Cleveland, starting med school in the same span of time. I also lost my grandmother, who was, you know, the first real death in the family of someone of close to me. And my uncle died unexpectedly. So there was a lot of things happening. And my way of compartmentalizing or dealing with it was just trying to focus on the competition and get through that. And then I'll deal with everything else. And so I really buried a lot of the other stuff in reacting to that. And um, and my mindset going into the competition was very much, I just don't want to do worse than last year because I didn't want to be a fluke. You know, oh, I didn't want to just get, you know, I, I got fifth place last year. I don't want to end up, you know, in the bottom half or the, the bottom mm. this year. And so because I had that mindset, this is so fascinating. I, and, and going into the games that year, all this stress, starting med school was the first time in my life I ever experienced physical symptoms from stress. I was definitely in a in a stress state. And what does that mean, physical symptoms? Like I wasn't able to eat a lot. Um, I had a lot of GI symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, like even I couldn't even, I had no appetite, even though I was training. So you were overtraining, yeah. under eating, having Super stress. You were probably not sleeping well. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of, did you realize something was off? Yes. Well, it was, I mean, the symptoms were pretty obvious to me, but I just was of the mindset, well, let me just get through the games, then I'll deal with everything else. But it's really interesting. You were saying it was almost, you know, forgive me, but it was almost a negative mindset. You were able Very to- Very negative. Yeah, you yeah. were able to perform and execute, but it was almost as if you weren't coming from a place of courage yeah. and I got this. No, I was not. I was coming from a place of fear and scarcity. And that played out. I, I ended up doing well in the competition, going into the last event in third place. So I had the opportunity to be on the podium. And the last event was very well suited for me. It was a lot of my strengths. But for some reason, I just fell apart. And I ended up in fifth place again. What was the what was the event, or was it? It a, a was of a it was a, a chipper. It had rowing, wall balls, I think box jumps, kettlebell swings, and a rope pull, like lay down and and rope pull. And for some reason, I got to the wall balls and just could not hit the target, <laughs> no matter what. And it was crazy. I thought I was in some weird twilight zone, but um, so I really bombed, and I did. I ended up in fifth place again. And I, looking back on that, I think, well, that's exactly mentally what I had prepared myself for. Don't mm -hmm. do worse than last year. Even though I know I was capable of doing better, I think to me that was an illustration of how important our mindset is when we go into a competition and believing in ourselves. And that's something that I intentionally worked on a lot during the following couple of years of competition. How many times did you replay that event in your head? A lot, yeah. <laughs> A lot. And really, when I came home, I was, it was probably, I think, really the hardest time in my life thus far. Mm -hmm. It was adjusting to med school. I was really 
depressed because I hadn't dealt with a lot of the grief from losing these family yeah. members. And um, I, I got to the place where I just was, I didn't enjoy training. I was crying all the time. Mm. It just wasn't good. And I kept telling myself, well, it's just because you're here, you know, you'll go home for Christmas. You'll see your coach, your family, things will get better. I came back to school in January. No, not better. So finally I, I ended up working with um, well, two things happened. One, I had this conversation with my mom. I remember it so vividly. We were on the phone and she said, you know, Julie, you don't have to do any of this stuff. You don't have to compete in CrossFit. You don't have to go to medical school. We'll still love you just the same. And to me, that was such a powerful moment when I realized I had not really defined for myself why I wanted to compete. Hmm. It was you know, I'm doing CrossFit because it's good for my health. And next thing I know, I'm at a competition and I'm doing well, so I'm going to keep going. And then I did well at the game, so I'm going to keep going. And it was fun, but I had never really asked myself that question and identified with why Why am I doing this? Why is it worth all of the sacrifice and all of the, you know, things that I am giving up in order to be training all the time and making all these decisions about nutrition and recovery and everything else? I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. Typically, at a very stressful moment, they say that we don't necessarily rise to the occasion, but we fall to our level of training, our capacity. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, you had been a competitive athlete in high school. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot. And then, of course, you were on an academic scholarship, which mm -hmm. means you were not a slouch <laughs> in high school. My question to you was, had that mindset of fear really defined you up until that point? Because it's unlikely that you were of a different mindset. Mm -hmm. And then when the pressure was on, you flipped it mm -hmm. to a more negative mindset. Mm -hmm. No, I think, and this is something I've only recently started to mm. make a shift in in the last two years um, since I've graduated from residency. I think that I've always been conditioned to, you know, growing up doing gymnastics and being very much yeah. a perfectionist in school, in sports and everything that I did. I think that, and really chasing achievements um, because that's, you know, you do well and people give you praise and then mm. you want to keep doing well. I really hadn't, um, asked myself a lot of those questions, a lot of the why, and really, really developed a sense of self-worth and self-love independent of those achievements. In Even though I yeah. thought I had, I really had. Independent of external yeah. experience. Yeah. Do you feel like if you were to do it again and you were to be in that position mm -hmm. where you were now competing again, because you then went on and competed after that. Mm -hmm. How how was that next competition? Yeah. So after I asked myself some of those questions and I identified with my why, everything changed. I really enjoyed training again. I had a great was it, time. Was it overnight? It was pretty instantaneous. Hmm. Yeah. I did some counseling work, um, worked through some of the grief, and started asking myself those questions. And then it was pretty instantaneous. Like it was going from one day getting to the gym and crying and being like, I'm going to go home to the next day. Oh, this is fun again. But isn't that incredible? <laughs> yeah. For anyone listening out there and any of your patients or any of my patients, mm -hmm. the capacity to ask someone that one 
pivotal mm-hmm. question mm-hmm. can change everything. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be a long, strenuous, you know, length of time of suffering. Mm-hmm. It truly is what is that liberating insight? Mm-hmm. And then it is, it's instantaneous. It is. Yeah. So you went from not wanting to train, crying every day, mm-hmm. to a moment of clarity, to now all of a sudden having some kind of mental freedom, mm-hmm. physical freedom. And I had my best ever finish. I finished in second at the CrossFit Games. And how were you doing in medical school? And I was doing great in medical school. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. It is. It's so much of it is about knowing ourselves, knowing our why or our purpose and knowing our values and living in alignment with those. Yeah. What is your why now? Mm, that's a great question. So, and this is something I've done a lot of work on recently. It's changed. I recently wrote a life plan for myself. I love it. <laughs> so I've been working, I started working on it in January okay. and I feel very good about it now. And as part of that, my purpose statement is to have the greatest possible impact on humanity by healing women. I love that. Yes. And I don't know exactly how that's going to look or how that's going to play out. I think we can't, you know, we can't plan all the details, but I know that's something I'm very passionate mm-hmm. about. And I know that it can happen in a lot of different ways. Um, I feel very blessed that I've had the experiences I have in CrossFit and that I've been introduced to functional medicine and just want to continue to learn about all the diverse ways that we can heal, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, through Eastern, Western medicine, um, all of those things. And the obvious question is why women? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously you're one. one. (laughs) Was there something that perhaps you wish you had had that maybe had you tailor that to women? I think for me... I think it is partially because of my own experience and I'm a woman and I can relate to women. I've always felt just a strong connection with women. And I also think that we just across the world, women are so powerful and our voices and identities, we are not even beginning to scratch the surface of tapping into those, whether it's in, you know, a third world country where education will make Mm. a big difference and how women can you know, use her gifts to help her community or, you know, in a, a woman who's in maybe an abusive relationship and isn't able to to fully use her gifts because of that. There's, I think there's so many different ways that this plays out, but yeah. I think that if we heal women, we will have a huge impact on the world. Well, I look forward to seeing that, <laughs> being a part I'll of play, it. Play whatever role <laughs> I can play in that. That's it. It's really yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, in medical school, was there, you know, medical school, I don't know about you, but I hated it. Yeah, I went to a very non-traditional medical school. Oh, you did? So, okay. yes, the Cleveland Clinic program, it's a five-year program, and it's very research-focused. Mm. So we do a full year of research, a couple summers of research, which I did enjoy. Um, and what did you do your research in? So I did my research with Dr. Mike Roizen. Um, he started the Wellness Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. Okay. And so we worked on a tool that was for primary care doctors integrated into our EMR that helped basically patients would take a questionnaire about all their lifestyle behaviors, you know, if they exercise, 
sleep, smoking, right. all those things. And like it, all the things that you shouldn't do. Right. Just, and it would push that information to their primary care doctor to it. say, hey, they're high risk in nutrition and sleep, but exercise is doing okay. So spend your time to, talking about these things. Got it. Um, and so it was a very, you know, it was a very interesting project. Um, it's hard to move the needle in a conventional system, I think. And Cleveland Clinic yeah. is very conventional, but open-minded. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when you were there, you did research. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I didn't realize you went to medical school there as well. Mm-hmm. And then you did a residency at Cleveland Clinic. Correct. Yeah. Then I stayed in Cleveland and did family medicine residency there. And how did you decide on family medicine? So I thought going into med school, I thought the one thing I know I'm not going to do is family medicine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I had shadowed our, you know, my right. local family doctor and I thought, oh, this is kind of boring and it's too broad. And I being the perfectionist type, I thought, let me just understand one part of the body really well or one system really well. And mm-hmm. I'll be an expert in that. But then, of course, I got to medical school and I was very naive when I started. I didn't really understand. I think we all are. system. (laughs) I didn't understand how much of a burden of chronic disease we have. And I think going through med school and being in CrossFit at the same time was very eye-opening for me because I was seeing how so many of the chronic diseases that we have, um, you know, you have a patient who comes into a primary care office and maybe they have some high cholesterol and high blood pressure and maybe some pre-diabetes and you talk to them. I remember being a very naive first year med student trying to do burpees in the office, teaching them how to exercise, but you don't see them again for six months, right? right? And so of course, not much is going to change versus the CrossFit gym where I'm spending a lot Mm -hmm. of my time and nights and weekends and seeing people dramatically change their health. They're coming off medications, they're gaining confidence, they're doing things they never thought they could do. And to me, that was really powerful. And so I just felt very strongly that I wanted to be on the preventive side of medicine. And I really loved the idea of taking care of a whole family and that biopsychosocial model. Um, I think that probably came also from seeing my mom's clinic and how the relationships, the long-term relationships she had with her patients. So that's what led me into family medicine. Relationships clearly are very important to you. When you went through... um, medical school, when were you introduced to functional medicine? This is a great story. So <laughs> Tell I, me, I can't wait. <laughs> we, so I ended up doing two years. We normally do one year of research in my program. I did two years mm. and that's how I ended up competing in CrossFit. I did CrossFit. I spread my research out over two years and did competition during the, that time. And they were good with that. Mm-hmm. I, I had to go. I made this very fancy Prezi presentation <laughs> and went into the dean's office and told him why this was important. Mm-hmm. And um, they were great about it. So Amazing. very, very lucky there. And so it was during one of my research years and I saw, I got a, an email saying, Mark Hyman's coming to speak for the Wellness Institute. And I hadn't really heard of him. I had heard of Chris Kresser. I'd heard of functional medicine just vaguely in the CrossFit community. I didn't really know what it was. And, but it just caught my eye. And it, it meant I had to go across town, be up early. It was very out of my way to go there, but I just felt very strongly, I need to go to this presentation. Mm. So I went. And I get there, and it wasn't just Mark Hyman coming to speak about functional medicine. It was Mark Hyman coming to announce the Center for Functional Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic. Mm. And so he was there. You know, all the department heads were there. It was a big deal. Yeah. And I heard him, I heard for the first time, him explain the foundation of functional medicine and what it is. And for me, it was I would love for you a to light bulb that. moment. I, I would love for you to explain <laughs> that for the listener. This concept that 
you know, the body is a complex system um, and that it's not, it, we don't have all these separate systems like your heart, you know, your cardiologist being separate from your GI doctor, from your neurologist, but they're all related. Mm -hmm. And this idea of looking for the root cause of your symptoms and identifying those. And then, you know, he explained the matrix, how you can map all these systems out on a matrix and see how they relate to each other and how best to address them and going through a patient's history, their timeline to be able to understand all the different factors that are influencing who they are today from mm -hmm. what happened when they were in the womb, before they were in the womb, to birth, to childhood, to now, and how all of that plays into their current uh, symptoms. And so when he explained functional medicine, I it was a light bulb moment. It was almost, it was very similar to when I sat through my CrossFit level one and I heard them describe fitness and okay. health. And I just thought, well, now that I see this, I can't practice medicine any other way um, because it just feels right. So they shortly after opened the Center for Functional Medicine. And I was lucky that as a med student, I spent a little bit of time there. And then in residency, I did a couple of rotations there as well. So, And that is what put you on that trajectory. Mm -hmm. Then I started doing the Institute for Functional Medicine courses. And also my residency was very open. So had a strong integrative medicine track at my residency program. All of our faculty members were mm. very open to the concept of integrative and functional medicine. So um, I felt very supported in that. And a lot of other, you know, my other co-residents had some interest too. Could you have gone to residency anywhere? Mm -hmm. Or so you were not tied to just because you did the five-year track at mm -hmm. Cleveland Clinic, you, mm -hmm. no, you I could have gone, gone anywhere. anywhere. Yeah. I was sort of the outcast of my class, though, going into family medicine because we're very specialist driven. Absolutely. Because it's a, you know, it's a research focused program. So a lot of people go into very subspecialized fields. So very few of us in the history of the school have gone into family medicine. There you go. Yeah. Julie Fichet, <laughs> you know, yeah. black sheep of the, <laughs> of the medical school graduating class. Yeah. Um, and have you loved it? I've loved it. Okay. I love family medicine. Um, I just... It's just, it's about the relationship for me. Mm. You know, it's about sitting with people. It's about understanding how complex their lives are and how complex and different we all are as people. Yeah. And, you know, we're not just these, you know, isolated people who come in with symptoms who need a cookie cutter diagnosis and treatment. And one of the things that is really unique about being as well-trained as you are is that it's really important to understand the foundation of medicine. Mm-hmm. In order to be a really good practitioner, I feel that it is vital to have had good training. Mm -hmm. Because then if you know what the potential is to go wrong, then you can obviously know the potential to go what mm -hmm. could possibly be mm -hmm. to go right. As physicians, it is really important to know what is going on versus just kind of feeling what is going on. And that's why I believe in not only yearly blood work, but also even quarterly blood work, depending on what your personal goals are. Again, blood work and knowing rather than just thinking about how you feel is incredibly important. And there are very important biomarkers that you can look at your metabolic health with and also how you need to adjust your diet and exercise. This is why I have partnered with Insight Tracker. You can go and look at their website. That's insighttracker.com forward slash Dr. Lion. That's insighttracker.com forward slash Dr. Lion, and you'll get 20% off 
the entire Insight Tracker store, which is incredibly generous. This is really important, you guys. I am wanting to provide ways in which you can take control of your own health and wellness. You can get this blood work done, take it to your physician, and take it to people that are incredibly knowledgeable so that you have a very proactive approach to your health and wellness. And uh, I do believe that this is incredibly important and valuable for you. Now back to our show. Absolutely. And what happened to CrossFit? <laughs> so, so you I, had this aha moment, which is really interesting yeah. because you talk about two moments of insight, mm -hmm. which means you're likely very familiar mm -hmm. with, and I'm sure people can relate, the listener can relate to this idea of having this feeling almost not necessarily guided, mm -hmm. but there's that. Like your intuition. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. this strange knowing mm -hmm. that this is the right place to be. This mm -hmm. is the right thing. You knew it when you mm -hmm. saw CrossFit, also uniquely placed in the top five each year that you competed, mm -hmm. which, I mean, if someone saw your Wikipedia page, <laughs> that is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes you a legend. <laughs> I, mean, I have competed in a legends competition <laughs> since then, which is kind of, it's very cool. It's really, it, it's really interesting. And then you have this moment that you are aware of functional medicine. Mm -hmm. And then, well, I mean, what happened to CrossFit? So I competed in CrossFit then for two more years. So 2014, I, I basically, I took 2013 off. That was my second year of medical school. And as you know, boards come in the second year. It was a lot more demanding schedule-wise. And so right. I thought I could make it work. But in the end, I decided to take the year off and really spend the time I had in the gym to focus on my weaknesses and then come back stronger in 2014. So 2014 and 2015, I was during my research years, so mm -hmm. I had a little more time to train. But what what about your mindset? What and I, you know yeah. how was you know you had now shifted, and all of a sudden you have this new confidence. You're mm -hmm. loving training again. Mm -hmm. Did you ever slip back into that more negative mindset, more perfectionistic? Did you ever have a relapse? As it they was, say, yeah, it was always a struggle. Um, I, and I worked with a mindset coach during those years, mm. 2013 through 2015, and he helped me a lot. And every year I was stronger and stronger in just having confidence in myself and enjoying the process. Um, and so, you know, 2013, I came back, I ended up, it was a very different experience for me um, coming back, having a year off and not knowing what to expect. And I ended up in third place, so still back on the podium, and it was amazing. I think it was also different for me because I came back. Um, I was not in the top three during the whole competition until the very end, so okay. it, was, it was a very different experience. I was able to perform well on that last event. Did you just did you snap into it, or it was just the event of chance? It was actually interesting. This is where I think mindset plays out a lot. So in 2010 it was a very similar experience where our last event, we didn't know what it was going to be until we stepped out on the floor. So they kept us in this sort of seclusion room as you're waiting to go out. Was it padded? No, <laughs> it was Did very hot though. And, um, and I just remember feeling like my mindset was so much stronger mm. in 2013 or 2014 because we were in that room and I just knew if I, I knew I had a chance if I did my best and I just focused and visualized and imagined myself performing and executing everything to my, the best of my ability. And it really went well. So that was great. And then in 2015, um, I was definitely 
the best I've ever been. I was in the best shape I've ever been. My mindset was stronger. I really truly believed I was capable of winning the CrossFit Games. And that is the year that I tore my Achilles at regionals. So it was mm-hmm. devastating in the moment because I knew it was going to be my last year competing going in. I knew Why? that I knew that after this year, I was going to go on to my clinical rotations in medical school. I knew that it just wasn't going to jive waking up at 4 a.m. for surgery rotation and trying to get my training in. For me, it wasn't going to (laughs) work. And it was, by that point, training was so all-consuming. It was, you know, I was training three to five hours a day most days. And you think about your sleep, you think about your nutrition, your recovery, all those things outside of training also. It was really almost a full-time job. And Mm. so I knew that was going to be my last year of competing going in. And, um, I, you know, I felt better than I ever have, but then having that injury was very devastating, but it ended up actually being one of the most powerful moments of my life because, um, I, I, it happened in front of the whole CrossFit community. So I did this event and then this was on Saturday of the competition. The very next event was a handstand walk. And I interestingly had been practicing handstand walks. I had been working with Olympic gymnast Dominique Mucciano and her husband to work on my gymnastics. And they had me practicing handstand walks with weights on my ankles to prepare for this competition. So when I went to go do this event, I had a boot on, which didn't really phase me because I'd been practicing with the ankle weights. But I was like, well, of course I'm going to do it. It's a handstand walk. I can do that. And so I did the handstand walk. And then after that event, I had been pulled aside for an interview. Everyone else had cleared off the floor. I finished the interview and I turned around to go walk back to the athlete area. And it was overwhelming. Like the entire crowd was so supportive. Mm. I could feel the energy from the whole CrossFit community. It's one of those when you're in a vulnerable moment Mm. and you can feel the support of so many other people just genuinely holding space for you. It was so powerful. So I will never forget that, even though it wasn't the way that I wanted my career to end. It was really powerful. And for me, it was also this lesson of it really isn't about the outcome. You know, Mm. it really was this. It's about the journey. It's about the experience. It's about all the great experiences I had competing, the lessons I learned, how I became a better person. You know, even knowing that I had that mindset, I knew I was capable of winning, even though I didn't. That was a big win for me. Mm. I made a lot of wins in training that year, overcoming personal obstacles and reaching milestones I had been chasing for a long time. And those were really special, even though it wasn't in front of a big crowd. So um, it wasn't the way I wanted my career to end, but it was also special in its own way. Do you still believe that, that Mm -hmm. the journey is more important than the destination? I do. You do? I do. I think we need a roadmap. We need to know, we need to have that why, we need to know our values, we need to have an idea of where we're pointing so we go in the right direction. But... I think ultimately there's there are things that are outside of our control. Mm. And if we um, try to, you know, grasp for those or try to beat ourselves up when things happen that are not necessarily within our control, um, you know, it's not it's not necessarily helpful. And what happened after that? So then I went full speed ahead into med school. I did my clinical rotations. I started my podcast. That was my way to keep in touch with the CrossFit community. Okay. And when did you start your podcast? 2015. 2015. Yeah. And that's, is that still going it's on? still going. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I've, 
the best advice I got from someone <laughs> when I started was just be consistent. Just yep. decide when you're going to post and be consistent. And I've changed the frequency a few times over the years, but I mean, it's not like you had anything else to do. Yeah, whether it was <laughs> residency or yeah. all the other things or the work that you're doing now. But if it, yeah, it's been great. And then you know, finished med school and went on to residency. And residency was very much I enjoyed it a lot. It felt it was a time in my life where I felt like I wasn't growing a ton, which is interesting because I was growing as a physician, but in life, I felt sort of stagnant. Mm. I think because I had been so used to CrossFit and (laughs) school and CrossFit, like through CrossFit, I just grew so much as a person. And And had school always come easy to you? Residency, medical school? um, It was challenging in different ways, but um, yes, I was always good at just following instructions. So if you told me, study Mm. this, learn that, I could do it. Um, and so good at following instructions. I am, but I've opened my mind a little bit more. I now ask more questions. <laughs> okay. I mean, listen, I ask questions all the time. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so after residency was really when things changed, cause it was the first time in my life where I didn't really have a plan. I, I thought coming out of residency, I want to open a direct primary care practice, functional medicine practice. I had plans to do that. Then COVID happened. Things got a little bit delayed. And for the first time in my life, I had open space Hmm. to be able to just really get to know myself. I wasn't chasing the next milestone, the next achievement. I didn't have, you know, plan A, B, C lined up. I just had a couple of months where I had nothing. Were you just going to, so you just graduated Mm -hmm. from residency Mm -hmm. and then had, you had made no plans. Well, I had a plan to open a DPC. Um, I was actually going to move to Nashville, had started the groundwork for all of that. And then I also um, started, I found this company called Wild Health in Lexington. So then I ended up moving to Lexington. And is, that's where you are now? Yes, that's where I am now. Tell, tell me about that. So I um, met the guys who started Wild Health around that same time that summer after graduating from residency. And they are a precision medicine practice. So very much focused on looking at each person as an individual, looking at all the different factors that influence their health from genetics to, you know, their specific lab markers to their goals, their environment, um, and creating a very personalized plan for each person. And we had a lot in common. We had aligned values. We also, um, they were involved in CrossFit. And I had long-term, I had always wanted to bring this type of medicine to the CrossFit community. So to me, it seemed like a good match. And I did some part-time work with them for a few months and then ended up coming on full-time like a year and a half ago. And in terms of what you do there, it's, it sounds like it's a comprehensive integrative clinic Mm -hmm. and not just functional medicine. And I want to mention the concept of functional medicine, which is truly root cause. And I I think there's a lot of controversy Mm -hmm. around the term functional medicine because um, some of the practices are Mm evidence-based and some of them may be a little more nuanced, fringe, not quite... um, Evidence-based, which Mm -hmm. again, when we say evidence-based, Mm evidence-based is not just what does the science prove, but also the experience that a physician has, Mm -hmm. right? 
Um, have you had that experience yourself? Absolutely. I think that was one of the other things that really attracted me to Wild Health was that they're very open-minded, but also evidence-based and recognize that evidence-based doesn't just mean looking at large randomized controlled trials, but right. also doing end of one experiments. And so everything we do is very data-driven where, you know, if we try an intervention, we always have an outcome measure that we're tracking so that we know it's doing what we want it to do. And if not, then we need to try something else. Right. So whether that's a lab marker or wearable data, um, we're always trying to make sure that that we have an understanding of the interventions we're doing. We're not just prescribing a ton of supplements without knowing if these are actually helping them. I think that that's very noble, especially because your training, initially you were very interested in functional medicine. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that a lot of practitioners, I think there's a lot of value in the concepts of functional medicine and also really important to know for the listener that it's kind of uh, components of it have been really diluted. Mm -hmm. And again, the idea of being well-trained and your scope of practice is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and Absolutely. I think it's like anything. I think CrossFit is another example of it, it's an amazing tool, an amazing philosophy, and it can be implemented in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And some of those ways can be more effective or less effective in general. And I think it's the same for functional medicine. I love the framework. I yeah. love the concept of addressing the root causes. There are a lot of different ways that can be interpreted and implemented. Yeah. And so I think using our training, using the science is really important. Was there, um, you know, I, I had a moment in fellowship that really changed everything for me as a patient. Mm. Have you ever had that experience where either there was a patient or a moment, typically something really, really tragic, mm. uh, at mm -hmm. least that, that you know, I mean, yeah. I think one of the things people don't necessarily discuss, and maybe it's because they're very removed, medicine is not easy. Mm -hmm. And especially in training, it can be very depressing and it's very... I don't want to say sad, but I mean, there's a lot of heartbreak. Mm -hmm. And the reasons why I've experienced heartbreak in my training is you see individuals who are victimized by either decisions that they've made that they can't come back from mm -hmm. or a lot of misinformation mm -hmm. that they've now really struggled with. There's just numerous other things. And then also seeing people at the end of their life. Mm -hmm. It creates quite a bit of reflection. Mm -hmm. And I, I know for me, it took me a very long time to sit with that and to think about all the people that I saw who mm -hmm. had been at the end of their life um, and individuals just just going yeah. through it and families. Was there a Absolutely. moment where you... Well, especially being a geriatrician, yeah. you're, you know, you're really in there with a lot <laughs> of the end of life care. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, in my training as a geriatrician, and again, I did a two-year fellowship at WashU. So there's the geriatrics part, but I also did obesity medicine. Mm -hmm. And that was also mm -hmm. really, really sad at some deep level because of the metabolic implications in terms of brain function, right? Mm -hmm. There's the interface. Did you have that experience? Did you think about it in that way? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, there's so many different patient yeah. experiences that had an impact on me. I'm trying to think of... Some. And there there I may think, not be. There may not be. Yeah. I think, 
you know, there's one particular, there's one couple in particular that I, that were really close to my heart that went through a lot over the three years that I was their doctor. And they really taught me a lot about patience because I think, especially starting out, you come in so excited and you you just know, you're like, well, there's, you can feel so much better. We just need to do these things. And they just weren't that interested. And so we worked very slowly on small things over a long period of time um, that, you know, move, started to move the needle. But, you know, so much of it was just about meeting them where they were at and helping encourage them, you know, helping them to motivate their behavior change, but being there with them through every step and being ready for them when they're ready to start hmm. making those changes. And right now you see patients. hmm how do you mo- motivate them for behavior change? Or do they come ready and primed for you? It's a very different population. Now that okay. I'm in a uh, cash pay precision medicine practice, okay. there is a certain selection bias that we have because people are motivated to start. Mm. Um, not not all though. I'm, I'm going to say that, you know, a lot of people start and they don't necessarily believe in themselves that they're capable of making some of these changes or they're reluctant to make some changes. And so much of it too, what we do is tailoring to what's most important to the patient. What are their goals? If it's somebody who just really loves their glass of wine every night and is absolutely not going to give it up, then let's work around that. That's not just, you know, tell them at every visit, you have to stop drinking wine, right. you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's still about meeting people where we're at, but it's a lot, you start to see a lot more changes a lot more quickly when you have a motivated population. And what would you say the top three things that you see and treat are? Mm. A lot of metabolic dysfunction. Okay. So, you know, insulin resistance, you know, hyperlipidemia, Mm -hmm. obesity. Um, I think actually, interestingly, HP axis dysfunction is another very common one because we attract a lot of athletes a lot of people who are burning and that's the candle hypothal- at both. hypothalamic pituitary axis dysfunction. Yes. Essentially, it's yes. the brain not necessarily communicating effectively with the rest of the body. Yes. And it's it's often a result of this imbalance between stress and recovery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, stress is very important in all the different ways that we experience it, but also then having the recovery in between so that our bodies can adapt to that stress. And so sometimes when people are, you know, doing CrossFit six days a week and they have families and they have jobs and they have a million other things, a lot of times it's about dialing back a little bit and creating more space for sleep, for, you know, mindfulness or meditation, for just more of a parasympathetic state. Um, So I would say that's relatively common and um, just general GI distress. Yeah, I see that all the yeah. time. Yeah, which often are related to HP axis dysfunction mm. too. Is there something that you love taking care of? Mm. Well, I worry, think I won't tell the yeah, rest of your patients. I think metabolic yeah. dysfunction is often easier because it it's very it's very clear. You know, the few triggers you can pull that are going to make a big in- impact. The HP axis dysfunction is rewarding, but it's really hard. I would agree with you. Yeah. I've had that same experience in It clinic. just requires a lot of stress because or a lot of trust because it you know, it requires someone, especially someone who's maybe gaining weight even though they're not eating enough to say we need to give you some more calories so your body is more supported and nourished. 
that's very counterintuitive for a lot of people. And, um, you know, it requires a lot of trust. Mm. In terms of metabolic dysfunction, what are some of the levers that you pull for that? Well, I think the first one, well, it's hard to prioritize, <laughs> but nutrition is big, yeah. obviously. Um, you know, just moving to a more real food diet, eliminating the processed foods, eliminating the sugar. I think CGMs, continuous glucose monitors, have been an incredible tool mm. because it's that self-education. You know, I think for motivation, a lot of the wearable technology that we have now, whether it's the CGMs or whether it's looking at things like heart rate variability, just allowing the patient to learn and be curious and explore how these different factors impact them and impact their data is really powerful. More so than saying, you know, let's make these changes to your diet and recheck your hemoglobin A1C in three months. Right. It's harder to see the impact that that's having in real time. So nutrition is big. CGMs, I think, are very helpful. Um, exercise, obviously. Do you tell them to do CrossFit? Well, I always would encourage anyone to do CrossFit, um, but I recognize that not everyone is going to do CrossFit. I'm a terrible CrossFitter. <laughs> Ripped my hamstring a couple times. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's about meeting people where they're at. What do they enjoy doing? I think one thing do that- you, Do you say that? Because for me, if someone comes to me and they tell me that they just enjoy doing yoga, mm. I'm like, listen. No, I think I- <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, you and I, we got to have a talk because- I can appreciate that you enjoy it and there is a friction yeah. for starting and executing yeah. that just needs to happen. Totally. I, I agree with you. Yes. So there are some things that, some uh, parameters around that. Yeah. <laughs> Drop the <laughs> hammer, I, man. I think resistance exercise is especially important in whatever, you know, whatever manner that occurs. Um, but for CrossFit, I, th I hope that we as a CrossFit community will be able to change our some of the public perceptions about what it is and be more welcoming to the general population yeah to, even to older individuals i i could not agree more with yeah. you because it's very functional mm -hmm. crossfit when done well looks and amplifies different metabolic systems mm -hmm. obviously they all work together mm -hmm. but it, it really is incredible it is and it can create change improve balance improve metabolic mm -hmm health. Yeah. And it's infinitely scalable. I think my favorite commercial from the CrossFit Games is always going to be of the, the 100 commercial. No, the, <laughs> the 100 year old man doing CrossFit. Yeah. I think that it's, it's amazing. Mm. It's infinitely scalable and it is so functional. It's, hmm. the, it's, you know, our goal in CrossFit is to help people be functional so that they don't need help doing their daily activities when right. they're 95, you know? Where is the public perception now of CrossFit in terms of just health and wellness? I, I hear less about it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if maybe because I'm living under a rock, <laughs> you know, or my husband is yelling at me at 4.30 in the morning to get up and do burpees, which is totally plausible. Where, where is it now? Well, it's hard from, from my perspective. I think we can do better in making it more about average person and less about competition. Is it just as popular as it was or is CrossFit now really geared mm -hmm. towards the athlete? I think it is just as popular. I think that obviously the pandemic was difficult on a lot of affiliates and mm. I think some affiliates closed during that time. Um, but, and I don't know the details of, you know, where we're at numbers wise, right. but I, my general sense is that the CrossFit community is still strong. I've been to a few events in the past year and it feels 
feels very strong. Um, I do think there's still a lot of focus on the CrossFit Games, which I think is amazing. Mm. And looking at the pinnacle of what the human body is capable of is incredible. Um, I think that we can just we can do a better job of communicating the power of CrossFit to the average person and not making it so intimidating yeah. for someone to walk in the door. I mean, the athletes in the CrossFit Games, they don't look human. It's incredible. It's incredible to watch the things that they are capable of now. Yeah. And that probably becomes intimidating for the average person mm -hmm. who is thinking, you know, I am just going to do Zumba. Right. <laughs> right. I can't walk on my hands and drag um, a sled. My <laughs> legs do not work like that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's a challenge. When do you counsel patients on exercise? Do you outsource it? How? I mean, because obviously you've had a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. I do talk to patients about exercise. One of the other great things about Wild Health is that we have, every patient also works with health coach. Okay. And we are a very close team. So every appointment that I have with a patient, their health coach is also there. So we're really all on the same page. We're a great team. The mm. patient also then has follow-ups with the health coach where they might dive deeper into exercise or workout plans or things like that or troubleshooting some of the, the different factors that come up. So I find that to be incredibly valuable. Um, but I always love talking about exercise with patients. So, You know, you said something, troubleshoot things that might come up. Mm -hmm. What part of mindset do you think, you know, where does mindset play a role in healing? A huge role. I think so, and this is something I've only worked through and I still have a long way to go myself recently, but that negative self-talk. Um, that I, narrative. Yeah, that inner you're... critic that yeah. really helped helped me achieve a lot of things that I did in life. Yeah, but, very effective. Yeah, but there comes a point where it's not very healthy <laughs> yeah. um, or no longer effective. And so really coming from a place of doing these things for ourselves, like exercise or eating well or sleeping because we care about ourselves and because we love ourselves and not because we hate ourselves and we're trying to beat ourselves up, mm -hmm. um, I think is a very different mindset. And a lot of it just like we talked about before is just shifting that intention, shifting that awareness can instantaneously make a big difference. Do you think that it's a self-worth? I absolutely do. A barometer? Yeah, I absolutely do. You know, it seems that one of the things I always ask my patients is, do you feel worthy mm -hmm. of being healthy? Do you feel worthy of having the body that you've mm -hmm. dreamed of? Mm -hmm. I I think that self-worth mm -hmm. plays a huge role. A huge role. And a lot of these other aspects are distractions. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. You've, you've had that experience yeah. as well. Yeah. I've had that experience personally. And I see it with a lot of patients so much we're trying to make up for that in different ways, mm. whether it's, I think it can be the same as whether it's with an addiction, with alcohol, with gambling, whatever it is, or it can be obsessing about exercise or nutrition or all these other things. And it's so much, it can be the same behavior, but the intention and the place that it comes from can make it so different. Is it because you're trying to, you know, beat yourself up or make up for some lack of self-worth? Or is it because you really love yourself and you want to take care of yourself? What do you, what do you tell your patients? Um, 
I I really always start with their why. I, I love, I don't know if you know Dr. Wayne Jonas, but he always asks, what do you want your health for? Hmm. And so I that's think- a, That's a great question. It's a great question. I love it. And so I, I try to ask my patients that question because identifying with your why will help, you know, when things get hard, when you have to wake up at 4 a.m. and do burpees or whatever it is, you have yes. that why. And for so many people- My why is punching Shane in the, in, in <laughs> yeah, the throat. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. I don't really punch him in the throat. <laughs> Only sometimes. I, yeah, I, I'm just joking for everyone. Um, and for a lot of people, it's, it's you know, wanting to be able to play with their grandkids or wanting to take a big trip and hike up a mountain or- um, you know, have a have a big impact on their community or the people around them. And so I think identifying with that why and then breaking down, okay, how what behaviors are going to align with that why are going to align with, you know, getting you towards that goal? Yeah. So what you're basically saying is really deep self-awareness mm-hmm. and having the action meet the desire for what that individual wants. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you talked about nutrition, and I'm curious it, to what kind of diet that you eat. Big mm-hmm. in the CrossFit community mm-hmm. is this idea of a paleo diet. Yes, I'm curious as to what you eat, what you recommend, what your thoughts are. I won't hold it against you if you don't think about protein. <laughs> <If> I don't. <laughs> you and I can still be friends. Well, you really have had a big impact on me. So the first time that I saw, we didn't even meet, but. I went to the Institute for Functional Medicine's annual conference, and Dr. Hyman said, you've got to go to Gabrielle Lyons' talk, because he knew I was in CrossFit, and he's mm-hmm. like, you got to see this woman. <laughs> and so I went to your talk, and you talked about protein, of course, um, and the Pro-Age study, which yeah. I have referenced so many times since then, and I remember printing it out and giving it to my residency faculty. <laughs> I um, didn't read it, I'm sure. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, Cleveland Clinic's pretty good. Yes. And especially the one, our geriatrics faculty, he's amazing. And he was, you know, he read the whole thing. I was super fascinated by it. But, um, but so that has had a big impact on mm-hmm. me. So I, for me personally, I really try to stick to real food. I don't, um, I, I don't eat gluten. Um, Is there a reason? That's pretty much it. Just really, I just feel better when I don't eat yeah. it. And I'm not. I would say I don't have celiac. I'm not super um, like if I have a little bit, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to. I don't melt. have severe symptoms. Yes. But, but I don't general, feel well. I maybe I have joint pain. feel better yeah. without it. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty simple for me. I think I was much more strict about it when I was competing. But now, you know, I don't necessarily measure all of my macronutrients mm. or things like that. Um, and I think for patients, that's the number one is getting from processed food to real food. It's going to make a huge difference in how they feel. And then protein, you know, making sure that they're getting enough. Yeah. Protein. I mean, I'm a little biased. Two things. Yeah. That's generally what I like to start with. And then. And what do they, do you ever get any pushback when you tell them they need to increase their protein or I don't know, a meal distribution, which I'm hoping you're telling them. No, <laughs> very disappointed. Yeah, we, um, I haven't gotten a lot of pushback. It's hard for people though. I think because most people are under eating protein. And so it's something that they, especially at first, have to be very intentional about. And that's really interesting that you're saying that. So according to the NHANES data, which is the largest data set, the average female eats, I don't know, 75, 65 to 75 Mm -hmm. grams of protein a day. Mm -hmm. 
the average male might eat, depend, it doesn't even matter his size, 100 grams of protein a day. That's crazy. That is, I mean, it's enough to prevent deficiency, mm -hmm. but is that enough for optimal health? Is it enough for mm -hmm. longevity? Well, look at our, you know, our health data, our population. Yeah. You know, our you know what I population. Do you know what I think is going to happen? Mm. I think because there's so much confusion in the health and wellness space regarding protein, I believe we are going to have an epidemic of osteoporosis. Mm, I believe it. And I think that it is under the radar right now. Mm -hmm. And this idea the common narrative is to reduce your protein from what we're already eating. I think it's going to be devastating. And you and I have both been seeing patients mm -hmm. in clinical practice mm -hmm. for a really long time. Well, at least I have. <laughs> um, you not as long as me. Uh, I obviously look how good your skin is. Um, <laughs> we were just talking about how I want all of your skin secrets. <laughs> I'm going to share them all. Um, it, it's going to be devastating for the population because when someone falls and breaks a hip, that is devastating, mm -hmm. devastating to them, to mm -hmm. their family, whether they're going to have to be using a walker. It just creates a mm -hmm. ton of issues. And the data is really clear in terms of protecting bone health. Mm -hmm. And that is obviously calcium, vitamin D, protein. Mm -hmm. um, and if weight-bearing exercise, weight-bearing mm -hmm. exercises, yes, thank you. And if we tell people to reduce protein intake, and many of them are not eating animal products, reducing protein intake, reducing, a lot of people don't tolerate dairy. Mm -hmm. I think that we are going to set ourselves up, you know, <laughs> bone forms during our primary years. Mm -hmm. And it comes a point where it's not that you are laying down new bone. Mm -hmm. It's about protecting the bone that you have. So anyway, that's yeah. a, a side note. To think about, yeah. A side note, but I, I think that that's one of the things that we're going to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are those are the big things for me. And then I think one of the great things about Wild Health is we do have this precision approach, and we do look at genetics in all of our patients, and so that does help to guide some of the nuances of the nutrition approach and create those end of one experiments mm -hmm. for our patients. But for me, those are the big. Kind of I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I have to ask you about the genetic component. <laughs> yeah. How much do you actually think genetics play a role? It's a great question. So I think they can be helpful. I've seen them be most helpful as motivational tools. Okay. I think there is, it's been, it wasn't something I expected, but patients that are willing to make behavior changes because their genes suggests that they may benefit from a certain change. So for example, there is an SH2B3 SNP that increases your risk of being sensitive to gluten. Doesn't mean you have celiac disease. It doesn't mean you're sensitive. But the number of patients that I've had who are willing to finally try a gluten-free diet because they have that SNP mm. has been surprising. Where, okay. Whereas otherwise, they would never have tried it before. But I, I also think, although there's so much we still don't know and mm. it's still so early, I think that at least it gives us some sense of let's try this first instead of it maybe cuts down on the number of end of one experience we have to do for each patient to get to their. I think that's hospital. great. Speaking of genetics, obviously, I'm assuming you use medication. Mm -hmm. You are a physician, a mm -hmm. licensed physician. Do you ever utilize genetic testing for drugs? So I have not, although we are adding that to our, we have a, a 
big personalized report that each patient mm -hmm. gets. And I know a pharmacogenomics section is in the works. Yeah. And I've seen it be very powerful, especially for mental health and things like SSRIs. I, I absolutely have. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend that individuals speak with their physician and definitely get their blood work mm -hmm. and pharmacokinetics, very valuable. Mm -hmm. Also, COMT. Yes. Jean, if you mm -hmm. are a major, do you guys test that? We test COMT. Mm -hmm. Okay. And mm -hmm. do you tell people whether they should cut back on caffeine or? Mm -hmm. Yep. We test um, CYP1A2 for caffeine metabolism. Um, there's some other interesting ones. Like, for example, there's COL5A1, which is puts you at increased risk for Achilles tendinopathy. What? Which I wish I would have known about. Did you test yourself? Um, I did. And, and I have it. And I don't know if it would have been the extra motivation I needed to take better care of no. my Achilles, but 100% not. not. Because I was very in the competition no. zone, but <laughs> but things like that, you know, it may make patients think twice or it may make you think twice as a doctor about prescribing fluoroquinolones or, you I know, don't, I don't actually prescribe those to anyone who's athletic. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's risky, but I think, um, you know, it's more information that we have. Yeah. Any other SNPs or things that are coming up new Gosh. Interesting. Or these are standard tested ones that. These are all pretty standard ones. We're always updating our report, though. We have. It's very cool. Yeah. Dr. Mike Mallon, who's one of the co founders of Wild Health, he is beyond brilliant and is always looking at the latest research. And um, we have great data scientists, too, that are always That's incredible. updating it. And do you use that also for supplementation? Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we look at things like. For example, vitamin D, we look at vitamin D receptor SNPs, mm -hmm. vitamin D metabolism. Um, um, I'm trying to think of what other ones. There's even like TR, TRMP, I think it is, is for magnesium-related insulin resistance. Hmm. So again, these are, these are again <laughs> I would probably recommend magnesium for everyone. Right. So yeah. it's not going to necessarily change my practice. But a lot of these things I think are, are interesting. And I think there's a big motivational um, component. And I think that there's also something for patients about just feeling, feeling like, oh, they, this this is me. This, they understand me, or this is unique to me. It's not just the standard treatment they're getting from everybody. And so I think there's something there as well. And that's incredible. Mm -hmm. And you're loving that experience. I am. Yeah, I really enjoy it. HPA access dysfunction and GI. What do you do for mm -hmm. GI? Well, GI's a you know, GI it symptoms is. are complex and there are a yeah. lot of different root causes and so we look at all of them. We look at, you know, diet, food, stress is a big one. Um, obviously ruling out the big scary things. Um, we do a lot of microbiome testing. And what do you guys use for that? We use Thorn and Genova. Okay. Mhm. Mm and is that the GI map testing or is it? We use, so Thorne has a general microbiome test and then um, Genova, I like their um, GI effects test. GI effects. And that is actually, is that a PCR test? Um, I believe it is. And it looks at microbiome and it also looks at some clinical markers of like inflammation, digestion. So are we talking about zonulin, calprotectin? Um, actually, no, I don't think zonulin and calprotectin hmm. are in those. It looks at... Um, Oh, sorry. Calprotection is not zonulin. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And you find that to be really, really effective. I, I like. I think they're they're different and complementary. Um, I think that the GI effects is a little bit more comprehensive because it's looking at some of those other clinical. Do you, factors. I'm just going to throw this out there. Do you ever use old school infectious disease guys? Mm. 
Like, what do you mean? Like old school and they don't really they're not really around. I have searched um, far and wide Uh for uh, traditional infectious disease physicians who look at stool samples under the microscope. microscope. Yes. So I recently talked to I don't know if you know Lucy Mailing. She is I don't, a but I'd love microbiome to. researcher. I will introduce you. I would love it. Um, she is brilliant. She knows the microbiome research inside and out mm. better than anyone I've ever met. And she introduced me to a lab. I say it's in Colorado. It's somewhere out west. That that is basically what they do. It's like they you send the stool and they will look at it under the microscope and look for any any parasites, anything that might not otherwise be picked mm. up. On I wonder if we use them. Uh, is it PCI? It might be. I don't know. I don't okay. remember. Uh, well, I, I would love to. Get, yeah. And have you been using their facilities, sending it out? I have not. I've recommended for a patient, but we haven't gotten the results back yet. So okay. I've only just started to use it. I, I'm really yeah. curious because one of the things that I've seen many times, especially a lot with the operators that go overseas, mm-hmm. is that they come back with a ton of GI mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. And those individuals in their platoon have the same GI issues. Mm-hmm. And they go to places like Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic. Mm-hmm. And what happens is is they run PCR testing. And those PCR tests come back negative. Mm-hmm. And then you send it to old school parasitology. Mm-hmm. And they find a zoo. Yeah. And it's all the same. Mm. I, I think that it's really a missing component to health and wellness. That's I mean, I don't even know point. Yeah. health and wellness, but I, I do think that the more advanced we've become, the mm-hmm. less capable some of our testing has become. Yeah. Which is really, really interesting. Right. We're testing for maybe the most common things, but we're still yeah. missing a lot. So then. how are you maintaining your health and wellness? Are you training so a lot? I still do CrossFit. Okay. It is. It looks very different than yes. it used to. Okay. I do. I, I try to do five workouts a week. I love it when I can go to a class. How long is a workout? Um, if I'm working out in the garage usually between 20 and 40 minutes, but I try to go to make it to a class at least a couple of times a week just because I like being around the community and it's a better environment. I push myself more. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the pandemic, I also love working out in the garage because it's so convenient and it saves you usually almost like an hour worth of time by the time you drive. You mean because back. you're driving and, coming yeah. back. and yeah. you're in Lexington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kentucky. Yeah. So I do that. I do, I do do yoga, like uh, usually about once a week. I, I just love the practice of yoga. And then we talked about how I eat. Sleep is very important to me. Uh, I really try to make sure that I get enough sleep. And it's, it's only because I've seen the implications of not getting enough sleep. I think I used to be able to handle it a lot better. And mm-hmm. now, you know, my ability to focus and function during the day just plummets if I don't get enough sleep. So I focus on that a lot. And Which I, yeah. I'm sure is, is something that is difficult for you with two small children. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it just made me think, well, what are your weaknesses? Mm, yes. Well, oh, and another thing I do, I've, I've just spent a lot of time and energy on things like meditation, mindfulness, morning routine, changing my mindset, getting rid of the negative self-talk, being more aware of my thoughts. Basically, um, you're saying that those things still exist. Mm-hmm. And it's not about eradicating it. Mm-hmm. It truly is about managing it. Yes. Becoming aware of it. Yeah. And not letting it, you know, take over. It went from a monologue to now a dialogue. Mm-hmm. It sounds as if you now have a dialogue talking back to yourself, mm-hmm. which is really powerful. Mm-hmm. But 
who cares about your strengths? <laughs> Tell right. me about where your weaknesses are. Right. Well, I, so I think there's actually, nutrition is actually a big one for me. I would love. I ordered you a burger. To, I'm so excited. To I, I ordered you a burger. Um, Stefan, you're getting the Beyond Burger. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe they gave Gabrielle Lyon a Beyond Burger. <laughs> A refund. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's going to be used as a doorstop. <laughs> <laughs> so I am the type of person who I do great when I, you know, I'll eat. I'll basically eat whatever's in front of me. Like if I'm at a, a restaurant and well, not everything. McDonald's. Yeah, no, not everything. I have Chick-fil-A. certain boundaries. I have certain boundaries, but um, I. It's hard for me to. Um, I don't know how to say no. Yeah. So like if I because you feel bad? No. I don't think so. And it's not it's not a specific thing. It's like if there's bread, if someone brings up bread at a restaurant, I'm not gonna eat it. Or um, but for example, dessert. So my significant other is the kind of person who's gonna order three desserts and take one bite of Uh, each one. And that is hard for me. I hate those people. So um, those are the kinds of things I struggle with. <laughs> so you have a sweet tooth. Yeah. What about any mental weaknesses? Mm. This is great. So in my life plan, I have a whole section on uh, mental and emotional sections. And for me, I have realized, so a lot of it was negative self-talk. Judgment is a big one. Where do you think that came from? I don't know, actually. I don't, it, I don't think it I don't think it came from my parents. I'm not sure. I think that somehow in the world, I must have just picked up on thinking that that was the way to become better. Like just be harder on yourself right. than everyone else is. Yeah. And that will make you be successful. And it worked for a while. It's interesting, mm-hmm. right? Which is why I'm training my daughter. Yes. With all of her affirmations with that her were affirmations. So because incredible. I think that we connect with other people and perhaps even on a subconscious level, we see how they're doing mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. and then we encode it mm-hmm. without self-awareness and mm-hmm. then it becomes a thing that we unwind. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that that section of my life plan for, for this life plan, I have <laughs> basically a You might a change format. that next, yeah. next year. Where I talk about, you know, this vision for here's the woman I want to become. Here are the things I know I need to address in order to become that woman. And then here's the plan for how I'm going to get there. And so a lot of the things in the mental, emotional section have to do with judgment, actually envy, um, Mm. comparison. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Self-worth. I think I've made tremendous strides in all of these in the last two years, but there's still, it's a constant evolution. It's a constant process. Like you said, they don't go away. You just become more aware of them. Yeah, it's really interesting with very competitive athletes and very competitive women, you know, or men is that, you know, ultimately you are comparing yourself to something out there. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's interesting when that switches and you become inspired by it mm-hmm. and seeing that if somebody else did it, yeah. you totally could crush that. Yes. And that's how we all yeah. get better, right? Yes. I mean, just seeing the whole field of female CrossFit competitors, what they're capable of today is because everybody has constantly been pushing that envelope. 10 years ago, Mm. you know, when I first started CrossFit, the things that we were doing that we, you know, our PRs and lifts and and workouts. Different now. 
you go into any CrossFit gym today and there are women who can do those. The ones that we were, you know, what we were capable of in 2010. Mm. And now the bar is so much higher and it's because we have all pushed each other. And that is an incredible thing. And I think that's in life, as we talk about healing women, it's about how do we lift each other up and support each other and keep raising the bar instead of constantly comparing and trying to, you know, beat each other down. Yeah. I think the world is is ready for you. <laughs> it's ready for us. <laughs> yeah. That's right, man. Coming in hot. Yeah. Coming in hot. Yes, we are. If you had one piece of advice for your younger self mm. or your daughter mm -hmm. that you don't have yet, mm -hmm. what would that be? It would be that you are enough. Aww. It's your your affirmations that you're teaching your daughter right now. Do you remember what they are? Let's see. I'm strong. I am strong. I'm kind. Yes, I am kind. I'm courageous. Yes, I am courageous. I am worthy. Yes, give her a really good. I am loved. Yeah, <laughs> they're so beautiful. Yeah. Yes, it is. And, we're creating the next generation, mm -hmm. and that's so for me. I've started doing affirmations in the morning. So mm. I, as part of my morning routine, I now dance and I say affirmations to myself. And it's a silly thing, but those words have such an impact on us. Yeah, and thinking about her saying that over and over again now, the subconscious impact that that's going to have over the course of her life is incredible. That it touched you, yeah? Mm -hmm. It touches me every time yeah. I see it. Yeah. Her little blonde curls and yes. blue eyes telling herself that she's worthy. Yes. I mean, right. go out and make a huge impact. Right. Like, okay, girl, it took me 32 <laughs> years to learn that. So she's a step ahead. <laughs> yes, yes. Julie Fouché, it has been my great privilege to get to know you. I think you are an amazing woman, and I am so grateful for this time with you. Thank you. And Thank you so much. Of course. I'm Oh, I'm so excited to to have been here and I'm so excited about your podcast and for yeah, the things that you. you're doing in the world. So thank you. And I know this is just be the beginning yeah. of what we might do together. And together we could change the world. Mm -hmm. I know that that is possible. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. <laughs> Where can people find your beautiful self? Well, I, on social media, I'm really only active on Instagram mm -hmm. at Julie Fouché. And if my podcast is called Pursuing Health on any podcast platform, and then Wild Health is at wildhealth.com. And for any of your listeners, if they're interested in checking it out, it is, um, there's a discount code. They can use Dr. Lion 20. Oh, wow. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. I'll link that. I'll link that below. <laughs> Perfect. Is there a discount for me? <laughs> oh, you, you can just do it for free. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get your advice. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. The Dr. Gabrielle Lyon podcast and YouTube are for general information purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. And no patient-doctor relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast, YouTube, or materials linked from the podcast or YouTube is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition, 
they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professional for any such conditions. This is purely for entertainment and educational purposes only.